you guys may be seated. We're here in the book of Romans in chapter 1. Please find your way to, to Romans chapter 1. Today I'm only going to be reading to you verses um, 13 through 17. So let me uh, pray for just a moment and then we'll read these verses. Almighty God, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to look at your word, I pray you would lay heavy on our hearts the, the conviction and the belief that your word is alive and powerful. It is breathed by your very spirit that men might know you in truth. We might know and, and love the Savior and follow him in truth. Oh God, help us. We love you, Lord, and, and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 13. We did read this last week. Let's read verse 13 again here in Romans chapter 1. He says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, as he's speaking now to these Christians in Rome. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I hope you notice that as Paul prepares to preach, he's going to preach to Christians. Ever realize how Christians need the gospel? It's a very telling thing in the New Testament that Christians need the gospel. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, just shall live by faith. So as we get back into our, our study this week, we are primarily going to be studying the idea of being ashamed about the gospel. You'll see a title to that effect if you have the handout. But the, the first thing I want you to see as we start studying this is how to recognize the enemy's growl how to recognize the enemy's growl. Notice that we we did read there in verse 14, he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He's ready to preach the gospel while denying shame in regards to the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The feeling of being ashamed about the gospel, and I'm going to give you some help with definitions here in a moment, but the feeling is is, is what a, 
what it means to be ashamed. It's a feeling. And regarding the gospel, it is a giveaway that the Lord's enemy is at work. If somebody's feeling ashamed about the gospel, it is a dead giveaway that the enemy of the Lord is at work. Because when the gospel is properly seen or when the gospel is properly understood, it is it is wonderful and it is glorious beyond beyond your understanding no matter how long you've been a Christian. It's not shameful. The gospel is not shameful. So I want to help you understand shame, this particular kind of shame, gospel shame, regarding its threat to the gospel. How is gospel shame a threat to the gospel? Peter taught in uh, its First Peter 5.8, Peter made this comment about Satan. And the way he put this particular passage is that he's like a lion. Satan is like a lion. And when the scripture speaks in these terms, you shouldn't really picture a lion out in the field. When it says that Satan is like a lion, it's in order to warn you that the enemy is like the most vicious killer there is. You guys know how strong a lion is? I had a great friend in in Thailand who grew up in Africa, Dave Jordan. He was one of the best storytellers I ever got to sit around with. He was a little kid in Africa. And he said there was this particular village that kept losing livestock to lions. And so they built this fence, hedge-like barrier around the village where they would keep uh, cattle and sheep at night. And he said it was over 10 feet high of these thorny logs and brush that they would stack around the, the village to protect their animals and themselves from these lions who were increasing their threat against the village. And he said right after they built it, one evening a lion jumped right over the top of this fence that they had built. And the lion grabbed a calf by the shoulders with his mouth and whipped the back end of the calf over its backside so that it could hoist it like like on a horse's saddle and jumped back over the barrier. Wow. He, he would tell these stories about snakes and lions and and how powerful these creatures are. But here here in America, you and I don't know how to fear a lion. You might be afraid of a mountain lion. I'd be afraid of a mountain lion. But these, these, these lions, they're like Satan. Do you realize what a foe is in Satan? He's like a lion. He's not a lion. He's like a lion. Vicious and powerful. So... The reason I I, I raise this point is Satan is an enemy to God. Satan is an enemy to the gospel. Paul enters into this exposition. We call it the book of Romans. It's a letter to Christians. 
he enters into this letter, into one of the most amazing explanations of the gospel in the Bible, denying the effect or the impact of being ashamed by the gospel. He introduces it like this to us. So, we might be able to infer that if the work of ashamedness had its proper effect, if being ashamed did what it was intended to do, what would Paul do? He wouldn't preach. He wouldn't preach the gospel. He says, as we just looked at, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's ready to preach the gospel. But if shame did its thing, we could infer that he wouldn't preach. The word preach here is actually something like the word gospelize. You guys know I kind of play around with English sometimes like this. It's it's it, it's a verb. This, this word preach comes out of the word evangel. This, there's another word for preach in English, but this word here is just like this word I made up, gospelize or, or evangelize. I'm ready to gospelize you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Satan threatens gospel preachers and he threatens gospel hearers. By shaming them, one of the threats against would-be speakers of gospel and hearers of gospel are threats of shame. And he begins arguing here, maybe from his own temptation, maybe not. It, It doesn't say. It's a rather ambiguous statement. Or it could be something that he is saying out of his own knowledge of something taking place in Rome in regarding to feeling ashamed about the gospel. He doesn't say He doesn't say, who's feeling ashamed? He says, I am not ashamed. Maybe he's saying that so that they may be emboldened to not be ashamed. Or maybe he had been tempted to be ashamed. It just doesn't say. But I want you to hear this argument. And I want you to recognize the growl of the enemy. And then as we study through this, we're going to find Christ's strength for standing against this temptation. We're going to find how Paul right away even begins to show us where we find a stand as Christians. He says, I'm ready to preach for. This word for, we wouldn't use here. The word in the original language is the word for. It's gar in Greek. It's not the word hakti, which would be because. You and I would put the word because here. The the way he is speaking here, the way he is making the statement, you and I would say, I am ready to preach because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But you, you and I, and how we use English, we would use because he uses for. I think it's just the way Greek works when Paul is writing this. That's all there is to it. But he really did use the, the word for is in there. Some translations don't even put it in there. It should be in there because it's in the original. Because I'm not ashamed. For, in verse 16, B, after he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for again. 
or he could have said the word because, okay? For it is because it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed because it is the power. I'm ready to preach because I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. It's an argument. He, he's, he's just laid down this argument. Because, because, because. This is how you and I pursue. Why did you do that? Because. He's arguing. This is why he's not ashamed of the gospel. I will preach because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is God's salvation power. Because in it God's righteousness is revealed. Why is preaching and ashamed being contrasted? Why is he doing this? Why this argument here? If he was ashamed, he wouldn't preach. I think is a fair assumption. The idea of being ashamed here presents a set of words and thoughts. The idea of being ashamed presents its own uh, Argument against preaching, if you will. In his case, if he was ashamed, somehow shame would be making him or convincing him not to preach. Shame has an argument. And actually what we're discovering here, if you will follow along with me and try to follow along with me, is he is arguing against shame's threats. He says, I will not listen to the words of shame because, and that we see what we read in the Greek is four, four, four. I'm not going to listen to the threats of shame because the Romans as well, I believe, recognize this threat and they must recognize the enemy's threat here. If the Romans are ashamed, they will miss something that the apostle says you must not miss. In other words, he cannot listen. He cannot bow to the threats of this shame. And the Romans can't either. And this will be more and more clear by the time we get to the end of this passage here. The power of ashamedness. I don't even know if that's a word. But the power of ashamedness is the tempter's evil threat. It is a threat. So now consider with me for a second the enemy's cunning. Think about his cunning. For a while I called it the enemy's wisdom, but it just doesn't seem right to say that Satan is wise because wisdom is a good thing and we don't want to give any good attributes to Satan. And so I finally figured, well, I better call it cunning, but I think it almost means the same thing. Satan is cunning, and his knowledge of man's love of himself, well, let me put it this way, Satan's knowledge of your love for yourself is used against you and is used against man. Man avoids shame at almost any cost. Isn't that true? Man avoids shame at almost any cost, even if it's about something that's true. 
So let's define shame and let's define a shame and we will look into this human weakness that gives Satan in his cunning something to attack in our human nature. Shame is actually a noun and shame is a painful emotion caused by the belief that one is or is perceived by others to be inferior. Shame is a feeling. It's the belief that someone is inferior or unworthy of affection or respect because of one's actions, thoughts, and circumstances. I just took this out of a dictionary. So shame can be a good effect or it can be an evil effect. So make right distinctions about shame. Doing something that is bad is supposed to make a person feel shame. You are supposed to feel guilt for doing bad things. You are supposed to be ashamed of doing something bad. So not all shame is bad. Okay? It can be an evil effect when shame perverts uprightness. Sometimes shame is used in a wrong way. People or culture can make good to be unpopular. People or culture can make what's good to be unpopular and they can make what's bad and evil to be popular. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them. That is perversion. That is a wrong use of shame and our culture is strong with doxing, canceling right now. The world loves using shame in this way today. Ashamed, the word ashamed is an adjective. It means feel the feeling of shame or guilt itself. It's the feeling of inferiority or the feeling of being inadequate or the feeling of being embarrassed. Being ashamed is not necessarily connected to either good or evil. It's the feeling that results from Shame, whether it's right shame or wrong shame, true shame or false shame. So Satan knows that you love you. And so he can and he will attack with this idea of shame. And it will be effective in at least three ways. He disgraces those who say that they believe in Christ. He will attempt to disgrace those who say they believe in Christ. He will use shame to disgrace somebody who says they believe in Christ. Two, Satan takes away glory from God when his people fear and will not proclaim his word. He takes glory away from God when his people fear to profess his gospel. So that's number two. Number three, he effectively keeps a gospel witness from those who must hear it by using shame. Satan keeps the only saving word, the only saving hope from people by shaming people from saying it. He will prevent them from saying it with shame. Number one, he will disgrace those who say they believe Christ. Number two, he takes away glory from God when they will not profess his gospel. And number three, he keeps a gospel witness from those who must hear it by shaming them into silence. Let's look at shame's immediate effects. 
the immoral use of shame is very effective for disgracing the Lord and making his servants weak and silencing them. Shame is very effective. Look at Matthew 26, 73 and 75. Matthew 26, verse 73. You'll recognize this immediately. You will see how shame works. Matthew 26, verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. You are one of them of Galilee, or one of them who have been with Jesus. You are one of the disciples of Jesus, are you not, Peter? Surely you are one. I can tell by the way you talk, Peter. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept. Shame silenced one of the great disciples of our Lord. He did not yet really understand the cunning lie of unholy shame. It's a powerful weapon, and the enemy uses it against all of the sons of Adam, all of the daughters of Eve. Shame persuaded Peter, and he submitted to it. And I wonder if you wonder why. Shame is like a bully sometimes. Peter was persuaded for what in some senses might be considered a favor. Shame promised a favor. Peter's disgrace turned into robbing God of his glory. The threat of gospel shame turns into works of unbelief. Do you remember that the apostles are given to Christians for obedience of faith? In God's grace, he gave apostles for the obedience of faith. What is the obedience of unbelief? Submitting to shame. Listening to the threats of shame would be following the obedience of unbelief. But apostles were given for the obedience of faith. Gospel shame turns into works of unbelief. And therefore... They show man's fear and unbelief. The gospel shame, gospel shame makes commands and commands you to distance yourself from Christ. Distance yourself from his word. Shame threatens you this way. Gospel shame in particular threatens you this way. Distance yourself from Christ. Have peace. Avoid embarrassment. Avoid escape, Peter. Avoid arrest, Peter. Avoid crucifixion, Peter. Shame makes promises. And shame makes threats. It threatens suffering. If you don't listen to me, Peter, you'll suffer. 
Shame promises ease. Shame promises favor. And shame like this plays on man's doubt of God's goodness and God's sovereignty. Shame, shame loves to play on the weakness of your faith. It plays on your unbelief. Shame promise, shame's promises of bullies, threat, and bullies and abusers and manipulators. They control you with favors. They control you with harsh words. They control you with threats of pain or real pain, physical pain. They threaten you with denial of friendship. And so shame does the same thing like this. Gospel shame embarrasses you. It threatens embarrassment. It suggests loss of advantage. It promises comfort and relief for compliance. And shame will promise you liberty if you obey it. But if you obey the promises of shame, you cannot glorify the Lord by your faith in Him. And this is just the simple, raw conflict between a Christian and gospel shame. So those are immediate effects of shame. The the work of gospel shame will displace you from something in the moment when you submit to it. But what is shame's ultimate end? Gospel shame's ultimate end is damning. And so maybe this is a greater warning. It is the ultimate peril of gospel shame. And it is an enemy that stalks all men and women in particular, Christian men and women to shut their mouths and silence the gospel. Romans 10.14 is a passage you know. It's so important that Christian mouths can speak the gospel and would speak the gospel. Romans 10.14 says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? The one who is silenced by shame cannot be a mouth for a gospel witness, cannot proclaim the hope that is in Christ. Gospel shame hides the only way of eternal life. There's no other way to have life unless you hear the truth of the gospel. Lord Jesus also said in Mark 8.38, these these are ultimate effects of gospel shame. Mark 8.38, the Lord Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Why did the Lord warn about the submission you might give to shame? Think about this. Mark 8.38, why did the Lord warn people about the potential submission they would give to shame. Those ashamed of him and his words will face what? It's not a hard sentence, is it? They face his shame at the end of the age. It's simple math. Those ashamed of him and his words must understand that when God the Father comes in his glory, he 
is ashamed of them. Satan loves to deceive in a silence with shame. Just like these ones who the Lord is speaking about in Mark 8. He loves to silence and shame, make people obey shame of Christ. Why? Because it sends people to hell. Satan loves to threaten people with gospel shame because it sends people to hell. It it accomplishes his murderous desire. Well, let's now consider Paul's words regarding the enemy of shame. Paul doesn't just say, I'm not ashamed, so you shouldn't be. This isn't how Paul's argument works. He actually lays out a few great truths so that you can do the opposite of being ashamed of the gospel. You can actually stand with the apostle or walk with the apostle in not being ashamed of the gospel. He says, I am eager to preach in verse 15. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, for it is the power of God unto salvation that everyone believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're actually kind of in the, in, in the weeds of his argument here, and we're supposed to see that he's actually laying out evidences. He's laying out reasons for you to go, oh, I shouldn't be ashamed either. There isn't actual shame in the gospel. Verse 16, the focus is taken away from shame and its threat, and instead you are told to ponder something else. You're not to be pondering on shame. The gospel of God is not cause for retreat and embarrassment. The gospel is power. It is God's power unto salvation. It's the evangel. This this word preaching here is the word evangel. The gospel is power to salvation. Supernatural birth is how we've learned to describe what it means to be born again. When somebody's born again, it doesn't mean they decided, well, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. A supernatural work needs to take place in somebody to take them out of darkness and put them into his marvelous light, as we've been memorizing. A supernatural birth comes giving eternal life by the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel The gospel preached is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible teaches plainly from cover to cover about God's 
Righteous judgment. Righteous judgment means it is right. God's righteous judgment is perfect justice. A lake of fire for the unbelieving with no end of suffering for the unrighteous at the end of the age versus salvation by his gospel. There's two roads in this life. Narrow, Christ-following road of life or broad road that leads to destruction. The evangel is God's power that reveals this to his people who see that little road and we go, praise God, we know the Savior. We know the way to righteousness. We know the way to life. We have hope with the Son. We have peace with God by the Gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of having the offer of life to give to people. This is nothing to be ashamed of. It's actually life and joy. God's gospel is power because, look at what it says in verse 17. What does it do? What does the gospel do? Why is it power? It reveals righteousness. So a moment ago, I was speaking about justice. I was speaking about his righteous judgment that comes at the end of the age. In verse 17, he says, it reveals righteousness. Now, as we continue studying Paul's explanation of the gospel, we learn more and more and more clearly what it means to be unrighteous. Do you know how you become unrighteous? Unrighteous as a son of Adam. How do you become unrighteous? You're born. How many righteous ones were born in this room? How many of you were born righteous? Okay, that's that's what we learn by the time we get to the end of Romans 3. Who was born righteous? None. Not one. <laughs> there you go. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And some people say, so what? I don't, I'm not one of these religious, righteous people. But that's not what I say. I say, praise God for the righteousness of God in Christ. How can, how can we be ashamed? When, when, when he mentions this threat of being ashamed that would silence you and make you feel embarrassed, make you not want to be associated with Christ and with his church and with his people and with his word, 
Do you realize he is dividing you from the Christ? He is dividing you from the only hope there is. He is dividing you from the only life there is. That shame is devised to shame you away from life. It is designed to silence people who know the gospel and keep it silent. But it is God's power for salvation because it reveals the righteousness of God, which is the one thing between every man, woman, and child ever born. It is the one thing that would keep them from eternal life. It is the one thing that would give them eternal life. It is the one thing that would give you eternal life, the righteousness of Christ. He tells us how to have it. The gospel is you are unrighteous and you must have the righteousness of Christ. And it is yours by faith in Christ. Verse 17b, Paul just whips Habakkuk out of a hat The just will live by faith. He'll tell us a lot more about faith in the pages and the chapters to come. The just will live by faith. In a nutshell, justice is yours by faith in the crucified and risen Christ. The death of Christ becomes the death of sinners. How do you own righteousness? How do you have the righteousness that God requires? How is the power of God's salvation placed in your heart and, and, and reckoned to your account? By your faith in the substitutionary death of the Savior who was perfect. There's no shame in the gospel. There's no shame in that gospel. Paul says, I am eager to preach. I'm eager to preach this gospel to you. Because this gospel is life. This gospel is the greatest hope anybody has ever conceived. And and the only way it is conceived is in the written word of God. There's no shame, there's no fear, there's no mystery. But a knowledge of salvation by God's gospel to give birth and eternal life by faith in Christ. The just will live by faith. We have a lot more to say in this book, and I got an idea we're going to be in this for a long, good time. So let's thank the Lord together and close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel hope that is glorious. I thank you that Paul, the apostles, learned to even mock shame, maybe. Lord God, they learn to love the gospel and proclaim Christ. I pray you would help us to understand greater depth and understanding. Just to not fear the threats of shame. Help us to rest and trust in the words of promise given to us by the Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. We do have a closing hymn to sing together this morning. I think it's 304. 304, 403.
I was about to say the same thing, I think. 403.